0: 7.06 on uh, CJAD 800. Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with fellow Orlando's Josh Miller. How are you, Josh? Excellent. Uh, great. And uh, this evening, it's another one of our specials that I think are going to be uh, really handy for business owners in Montreal. And this evening, we're focusing on transitions. And it's going to be two different types of transitions. One is, in our first half hour, we're going to
1: talk with Sam Fair, Atelier Ferland. And he's going to talk about, hey, Look for a business, found a business, bought a business, trials and tribulations, should be very interesting. The second half hour is C&M Textiles, where father and son will say, hey, transitioning a business from one to the other, let's see what works, what didn't work, and what we can learn from that.
0: So let's begin by welcoming uh, Sam Fayer of Atelier Ferland. Welcome to CJD, Sam. Thanks for having me. So usually we ask you off the top, uh, very simply, tell us about Atelier Ferland and, uh, and about uh, what you do for a living.
2: So Atelier Ferland was founded in 1979 and uh, it started off in some person's back garage to turn out into uh, an 85,000 square foot fabrication facility, Turnkey. So we'll start by purchasing raw materials, machine it, weld it, fabricate it, sandblast it, do all kind of mechanical assembly, electrical assembly, and and hydraulic assembly. So that's basically what we do. We cater to sectors like mining, hydroelectricity, engineering firms, pulp and paper, tissue side, uh, transport, and others.
1: Now, when did you get, you bought this business, you didn't start in
2: 1979. <laughs> no, I didn't. I started in Far too young for that.
1: Started in 2000, you said. 2009, yeah. How did you find this business?
2: Well, it's like anything. I came from Asia. I spent the better part of a decade um, buying and selling into the Orient and vice versa. And uh, after a bout with illness, I took some time off and then I had approached Mike Newton from Fort Orlando to see what businesses were out there. And uh, one there was one requisite that I, I wanted to live outside of Montreal and into the country.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, a few companies were presented, and um, Atelier Ferlon came up. And I remember going to visit it the first time, and uh, I think uh, one of the my, one of Mike's colleagues came up. And we visited, and as soon as he walked out, he said, my God, we're never buying this business. And I <laughs> thought to myself, <laughs> that's where you're wrong. This is the one we're going to take.
1: Did you have any experience in this kind of machine type shop before?
2: Nothing, I didn't even know what it was.
1: So, uh, what are your first steps? You go in, you find this business, what What are your first kind of, your own due diligence steps? Before think, you even decide you, you really want to.
2: I think the first thing that I would look for as a businessman is a bankable deal. Anything that has high asset value where I could leverage in and expose myself to a minimum. And Fairlain fitted that, that perfectly. And then the next step that I would look at is to see what do they do what sectors that it could cater and what sectors the company currently not catering to. And after that happened, I think that we probably signed an LOI within maybe three weeks of visiting for the first time.
1: But you had been looking for a long time before you actually found Atelier now,
2: Probably 12 to 18 months.
1: And when, when was it? Now let's get in a little bit because there's a lot of people involved when you did an acquisition process. Oh, there certainly is. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, from the vendor, to the professionals around you, to the employees in the place. Maybe we can kind of touch one at a time. Uh, how was it dealing with, let's say, the vendor?
2: I think the first thing that people should remember from an acquisition, it's still a human you're talking to. You've got to remember, you got to put the professionals, the brokers aside, all those people aside, and first understand the person that you're dealing with and if there's even a deal to be made. I mean, that's the first step. With a previous owner, I was I was convinced that this was someone who wanted to get out for whichever reason, and I was able to put a package together with him that worked for him and worked for me. Secondly, you have the professionals inside that have to give you the information that you're able to use in order to evaluate whether you know the risk ratio is if it makes sense for you, mm-hmm. and you have to trust your professionals too. That you know, obviously, they're not only there to bill you, but also in your best interest. And third of all, in my case, this was different than the other ones I'd done in the past. It's I was in rural Quebec, right. And it's, there's not an angle flown, that's going to come all of a sudden, and tell them how things are. So that was probably the biggest challenge of all. But once that they saw, you know, once the takeover was over, the transition was finished. Um, they saw that, you know, the effort was there and, you know, it takes them some time to be able to, to trust you and want to follow you.
1: Now, how long from the time you decided that, Hey, this was a business that you wanted to get into until you actually closed the deal. Was it a very long process?
2: I would say no, I mean a a typical deal is probably four to six months, and we closed it in about six months so
0: so everything went went pretty smoothly. Were you scared that you were entering a a domain that you didn't that you didn't know or 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 did you feel as many on the show have felt that an entrepreneur is an entrepreneur and you can make it work?
2: I don't know how the others feel, but I had no issues with it whatsoever. I mean, I had no clue that even, even the different types of materials and metal existed. I knew there was a business there, I knew there was an ability to to turn this to make money with it. And to, to to get on the road with it, I mean, you've eventually got to sell it. And if you have a good team around you, a good, a good structure around you, it should allow you to limit the amount of time that you have to spend in the factory and more time on the road. And the next step is to build a strong sales team and grow the business. How much
1: time of your due diligence did you spend actually learning the functions and the people, the key people of the company?
2: Nothing. I spent more time learning the people. I spent more time putting a team around me that would be able to bring me the information that I needed. Let's be honest, I'm not going to become a machinist overnight, and Mm -hmm. I probably never will. Mm -hmm. I won't become a welder either. But I have the people around me that are able to help me to determine whether I want something or I don't. And like in any business, if you don't have the right personnel, the right team behind you, you're not going anywhere.
1: Did these people already exist internally or did you have to find (laughs) from the outside?
2: That's a very good question. Uh, I brought them from the outside. I think that when you have a certain way of working with the same owner for so many years they're going to be very hesitant when the new guy comes in i brought immediately a 25 year mechanical engineer with me and he started practically within a few weeks from when i bought it and when i was able to evaluate whether there was more of an interest to go into more complex parts than what we were actually doing i mean you have to understand what atelier fallon does we don't make shelves we yeah. make very complex tooling uh, heavy from one ton to Fifteen, twenty tons, for all types of different sectors. That's it's it's the core of what the business is all about, and it's also a business where you transform raw material into a finished product. Now, to you, for example, or to anybody, and to me, for that matter of fact, I mean, a shoe you can recognize, a table you can recognize, the stuff that we make. I could see it a hundred times, I still don't know what it is.
1: And let's let's come back to the people within Atelier Vialon, the employees, the 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 line workers, the machinists themselves. Was it difficult to create that rapport? I mean, it was somebody that had had this business, as you say, since 1979, so a good 20 years with the same person, and now there's uh, a new kid on the block, a new owner in town. How, how was the transition? How did you, you deal with those employees that are clearly as important as as many others?
2: I think that I spent a lot of time uh, almost forcing them to getting to know me. In the beginning, we had almost these company dinners every two weeks, and there was a you know, an answer and question type of period where they could ask me just about anything they wanted to, from where I came from, what I'd done in the past, how I saw things going on. And the other thing too, and a lot of people may not pay attention to this, when you know, there's a lot of people, only one of you, the first effort and what they really like is that you don't talk to them as, you know, whatever. You remember their name. You remember who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. Uh, Today, I could tell you all of their names, who they're married to, where they go, where they don't go. Uh, it's important for them that's it's it's a it's a big part of the the trust that they have with who they're dealing with
1: did you main do you still maintain that today? I mean we're thirteen years later and has that has that philosophy changed at all?
2: Uh, actually, we're five years later, but I, I still I still have so i I absolutely we still have uh, you know most companies obviously do Christmas parties, we do uh, chris uh, summer barbecues, we do all types of different events where you know I, I try and keep them all together. That that family spirit for them uh, and for me actually kind of works for them.
0: Today's entrepreneur on CJAD. It's our special on business transition, and our guest for the first part of this hour is Sam Fayer of Atelier Ferland. And we'll have the Ojays coming up uh, after the prog- after the uh, the seven thirty news uh, from CNM Textiles.
4: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
0: 718 on today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Welcome back. My name is Dan Delmar, along with floor Landau's Josh Miller and Mike Newton as well in studio with us because it's our special on business transition. And our guest for the first half hour is Sam Fayer of Atelier Furlan. And, you know, really curious,
1: you're buying the the vendor, the purchaser, and the vendor have a, a special relationship, uh, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. But clearly there's a knowledge that the vendor has when you're buying was there an agreement that the, the vendor stayed on for a certain period of time after you purchased?
2: I think that in, in most acquisition there usually is a transition period and you know, that's usually hit or miss. In this case In it, your case, yes. <laughs> it, it turned out it to a multi million dollar lawsuit. And um, you know, it's I can under in a way I can understand them. You create a company, you're the one calling the shots for the better part of thirty years, and all of a sudden this new guy comes in, much younger than you are. And all of a sudden, the direction, the vision, isn't the same thing anymore. He wants to go left because he thinks that's the way to go, and you're like, "Well, that's not happening." You work here today; you you have nothing to say. And uh, I think I don't think legally, legally, the rest I'm allowed to talk about, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, it's not always
1: easy. And the did you find that the employees were following more him or the new owner that had a maybe bit more up-to-date vision of where business should be?
2: Look, we're, we're a pretty big crew, so a, a lot of them didn't know where to place themselves. You know, they were a little bit on the fence, but like I said earlier, I spend a lot of time with them. You know, I, I do a lot of, we still do these dinners and these, even in the beginning, the first seven or eight months, I think I met all of them probably once or twice a month mm-hmm. for lunches and dinners. So they got to know me a lot quicker, uh, probably not 30 years as quick as the other, but they got to know me very quickly. And yeah, listen, a few didn't want to stay, so they didn't, and the others ended up staying.
1: Now, you're, in, any, in any transition, any purchase, you do have a number of professionals that work around you that you have to rely on, that you work closely with, that there has to be a trust factor. What was what was the, did it work for you? Was it, was it important to have these professionals around you? Um, is there anything you would have done differently with them?
2: Well, I think I'm kind of fortunate because both professionals that I'm referring to, well, actually there's three of them, my attorneys and uh and uh my accountant have been with me for a long time, and I have a, a a very good trust and you know it was a lot easier for me to to be able to talk back and forth to see the reasoning and their their advice was uh, was invaluable in making a decision to buy this or not
1: and I guess I'm going to turn to Mike since you know he's been quiet long enough so we're we're going to give him a chance to speak uh and, and i I you know I turned to Mike and you've you've dealt with so many transitions over the years so many purchases. Uh, do you find that professionals um, help the cause, delay the cause, put a wrench in it? Where where do you where do you usually sit with that thought?
5: Well, there's a couple of things. I think first of all, uh, depending on who who you're dealing with, I guess is probably more appropriate than saying the lawyer or the accountant plays uh, a stalling role. Uh, there's no doubt that uh, that dealing with uh, Dealing with professionals uh, is, as Sam was saying before, it's kind of hit or miss as well. I mean, there are certainly some people that will that'll move along the process, that have a business mind, and then you have those that are a little more technically oriented, which uh, I have to say get uh, get lost in the paperwork and get lost in the numbers and don't have the ability to see the vision. Sam made reference to one of the guys that went down initially to do some of the due diligence work. Uh, and it was funny, he came out and said, there's no way we're buying this. When, well, when he came back to the office, he said, if we buy this, I don't know how we're going to finance this. And you know, we, Sam and I put our heads together and Sam came up with a very creative idea that we, that we put in place. But there's no doubt that left to the ordinary mindset, uh, I don't think this deal ever would have gotten done.
1: And I, and I think it's important that the creativity and a proper due diligence you know, really come into play. So when we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit more about due diligence and some of the important factors to kind of look at when you're when you're buying into that business.
0: Sam Fayer, our guest from Atelier Ferland on today's entrepreneur, our business transition special right now at 723.
4: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
0: Welcome back. It's our special on business transition. In studio with us is uh, Mike Newton, first of all, from Fleur Landau, and Sam Feir of Atelier Ferland. Coming up on the show, Josh will talk to Peter and Jonathan Auger of CNM Textiles. And just before we left, I mean, due
1: diligence plays a huge role in any acquisition. So I guess I'm going to turn to Mike, uh, as you you lived through a number of these. <laughs> what are I guess some of the more important factors when you're going through due
5: diligence of buying a business? Well, I think being, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, living living the name of accountant doesn't do justice, I guess, when it comes time to do uh, due diligence work. It happens to be one of the better parts of, uh, of the work that we do. Uh, and I think you have to be able to look past the numbers and look past the legalese and everything that comes with it, with the ability to see a potential that's there, uh, whether that's in people, as Sam did, whether it's in a product that has not reached a certain market, uh... because there's no doubt i think if you stick to most number crunching processes most deals wouldn't get done uh... and certainly when it comes time to put a deal together uh... you have to be able to find a deal as sam said with his his environment this guy needed to get out. Mm-hmm. He, he wanted to retire. He wanted to move out. And we knew that from the beginning. So it was how do we structure a deal that makes sense? And oh, by the way, let's make sure that the numbers make sense as you backfill the scenario.
1: No, no question. And, and the numbers do have to kind of back everything up. But there, there's always those other intangibles. I mean, what what was the biggest selling point for, for you, Sam, when you were looking at it? the non-numbers? What was the biggest potential that you saw out of it?
2: Well, there were two things. The first thing was I looked at the company's debt load. And very rarely do you find a company that was stripped clean, not a, you know, a penny to the bank. Mm-hmm. So for anyone wanting to get in, to, to not expose himself, where the risk factor is, is probably the most critical, uh, you could highly leverage into this business. And I mean, I, I think Warren Buffett said it the best. Mm-hmm. It's the best way to get into anything when you don't have to use your own money, which in this case we never used. Uh, the, the second factor is, is there anything to do with this business? And if so, what's he doing that you can add something to? And if you can determine that, and that makes sense, and you know Mike and David are able to make sense of the legal and the uh, and the accounting side, the financial side, well then, it's a go. It's a home run.
5: Yeah, I think I think you have to be able to put to paper uh, a deal that makes sense to everybody. But at first, you think you have to have that gut feel. And I think most entrepreneurs are going to have a gut feel as to whether they can make it work or not make it work. Uh, and then you kind of, like I said, you kind of backfill. I, I'm a firm believer that as much as you can, you leave. Uh, you know, not to make not, not to make harsh to the lawyers, but you know, you wanna leave the technical side out uh until such time as you've come to more or less of an agreement between the parties and saying, Okay, we're both interested uh-huh. uh you know, we may not be on the same dollar value, but kind of the cocktail approach to an ROI, a letter of intent, that ultimately says, Okay, we're in agreement, now let's hound things out because really, the paperwork should backfill the transaction. It should not be leading the transaction. In many cases, we all get caught up on the paperwork because as professionals, that's what we're taught to do. With the knowledge that you have today, Sam, and looking back four or five
1: years when you were going through this, is there anything you would have done completely differently?
2: No. I think think we did it exactly the way it should have. I mean, I probably would have gone without the lawsuit, but (laughs) listen, it is what it is sometimes.
1: No, no question about it. And Mike, is there any, uh, as as we near the, the half hour, is there any one aspect of any business
5: that you would concentrate more on than something else for due diligence? Well, I think a large part of what you have to look at once you get past the initial stages of does this make sense on paper is the people that are involved. I mean, there's very few situations where an entrepreneur sells. And usually in most cases have anywhere from an 18 to a 30 month uh, phase out period where you want them involved. you want them to be active, you want to learn from them, you want to go on. I have to say to date, I don't think I've seen one go past 18 months, and very few of them actually go past 12. Uh, unfortunately, in some cases, it went to a lawsuit. In most cases, uh, they've thrown each other out long before they get to a lawsuit. Uh, and the reality is people are going to make any business. There's no doubt that unless you're pushing a budget and all you, a button and all you're doing is making widgets. Uh, the people are going to be key, you know, and Sam saw that potential. And I have to say, you know, I've watched Sam for years, and, and you watch him in the factory, work with the people, and you'd think he's known them for 20 years since they were little kids. It, it, it's an incredible, you know, I, I'm going to pump you up a little bit on that one, Sam. For a guy who knew nothing about the industry and knew nothing about the people that were involved, uh, obviously the entrepreneur in you knew what to do regardless of whether you knew what widget you were making. I
2: do want you to know that I'm paying him for this, by the way.
5: That's this compliment.
1: I, I'm sure it's a good meal and a nice <laughs>
5: glass of scotch
1: if, if, and as we approach the end of the half hour Sam if I look to you and I say what would be the one piece of advice you would give today's entrepreneur when thinking about acquiring another business
2: advice I don't know but I would state a fact that's, that's probably we'll summarize what we talked about in the last half hour that I think in life you don't get what you deserve you get what you negotiate and as long as you can understand that then listen I think the sky's the limit
1: Excellent. Thank you very much. I think, Dan, just a, a quick note. There, There's a lot to deal with transition, of course. People, Mike said it, you know, people absolutely are, are, are key number one. Understand the people around you, and you can probably make something happen.
0: More on transition after the break with Peter and Jonathan Auger of CNM Textiles on Today's Entrepreneur at
4: 7.30. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants, and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
0: welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller and Fuller Landau's Mike Newton as well. Both partners are here, and we're doing our special on business transition, and it's only natural that we have a father-son team up next. So welcome back to the program, Peter and Jonathan Auger of CNM Textiles. Uh, Peter and Jonathan, welcome to CJD.
3: Thank you for having us again, Dan.
0: Thank you. Uh, so, first basic question, tell us, I mean, I'm sure uh, a lot of CJD listeners are familiar with CNM, but uh, but tell us what you guys do.
3: Well, we specialize in uh, custom-made window treatments, custom-made blinds, upholstery fabrics, uh, all sorts of bedding, window treatments, and probably one of the last stores to still offer uh, exclusive evening wear and bridal fabrics uh, in the city.
6: And just to add to that, uh, we also have a turnkey residential or commercial department uh, for all your blind or drapery needs shop at home consultations are now available as well and anything with with regards to home automation cnm is now fully available to program any type of blind or any type of curtain to that system
1: so you guys are already complimenting each other you're kind of finishing each other's <laughs> thoughts uh, but there had to be a starting point i mean i mean peter uh you know was was there a, a first day was there a thought that said you know what there's got to be a next generation. This business has got to survive another 60 years or however long it's been. Uh, what was the first thought in, in bringing it in that next generation?
3: You know, Josh, you always hope that the business will continue and you hope that the next generation will come in. But you also don't want to stop them from doing other things in their professional field. If this is their passion, then they're welcome to come in. If it isn't, then we would just move on. But when I did see the passion in, in their eyes and I saw that they really loved the business and they treated it with the same respect that we did, then the door was open to them and they, it was up to them to make their choices.
1: Kind of turn to you, John, and ask you the same question. At what point did you realize, hey, this is kind of what I want to do with my life as opposed to doing something completely different?
6: Well, I've always enjoyed dealing with, uh, with people and uh, I've always loved the sales environment. And just watching and growing up in the C&M atmosphere, Just like how it's unique from other types of stores or other types of businesses that the relationships you could develop with your clients because we're, you know, we're basically helping people with their homes. So you really get to, you know, invited into someone's home and you develop a real intimate relationship because you're actually selling something that actually is for them and for their home that they're going to have for a long time.
1: What was the first step? I mean, you're getting into the business. Did you start at the bottom? Do you do you start, bottom, like you know, moving indeed, things with yes. the broom in hand, with the broom <laughs> in hand? I mean, that's the old cliche, you know, start them in the in the broom closet and make sure they clean up the store to get the notes. But it was very knowledge.
6: important that uh, that uh, my father and my uncle really instilled that we do learn the business from the bottom up. Um, not only did it help us develop knowledge for, of understanding every level of, of positions with the company but also you gain a certain respect from your fellow staff and fellow team members because they most of the people that have been with CNM they have been with us for you know over 20 years so they've seen the third generation myself my cousins grew up with the company working in those different departments and seeing that we're dedicated so it helps in a sense that they will have more respect for us when it comes time for us to be the decision makers
1: did you did you ever feel that the employees didn't look at you, that next generation, as having the right knowledge or the right,
6: you know, did they ever look at you and say, oh, okay, he's the, the kid of the father. I guess I got to respect them. Uh, not so much. I mean, maybe it wasn't so much that they had to respect us. It was more that the, the, my biggest challenge, I think, was that uh, when I started with CNM, I was very young, but when we actually opened one of our stores in Ottawa, I was actually 21, so I was actually put into a position of of store owner slash manager at that young age. So it was more that I had to prove to, to my team and, and to myself that at 21, I could lead a group of designers and a group of salespeople, you know, in a, in a company at my young age, because most people in the business, in the industry would have had 25 years experience in my position.
1: Did you go out and grab that opportunity? Or Peter, did you say, you know what, here's something, try your hand at it?
3: It was more of that, Josh, because Montreal was, uh, you know, shrinking in the sense that there were so many of the next generation coming in, there wasn't room for everybody in one store. So the opportunity for expansion was there and Ottawa was a good city to go to and Jonathan volunteered to go on his own and then Matthew joined him and uh, never came home Mm -hmm. until recently. So they they were, you know, we left it in their hands and they were really on their own.
1: Peter, you're also second generation, right? The business was started before you. Yes. Was there a major difference in how the transition from your predecessor, your father or uncle down to you as compared to you down to your, your son and nephews?
3: Not, not really that much. I mean, they saw, my dad saw in me that, that I had the passion for the business. And, and he said, look, go to university, uh, go to CGEP, do your studies. The Business is always here. You can have it whenever you want. It's here for you. If you don't want it, we'll just sell it and move on. But then when I called him one day because in high school, I was always in the high 80s average and then CGEP, I I was failing. And I called him up, I said, Dad, I'm not doing well at this, it's not going well. He says, okay, drop it and the door's open. And from then, we never looked back. And he basically, you know, taught me and then turned the keys over and said, it's yours now and go go with it. You know, take it and ride with it.
1: John, slightly different experience with you.
6: You made it through C-Jet. Yes. <laughs> we're flying colors. We think. <laughs> as
1: far as the transcript goes.
6: But, uh, yeah, it was a different transition because I think at the time uh, between uh, my grandfather and my father and my uncle, there was a a huge transition in the industry that we're in whereas now you know our fathers are still actively involved because of their ages they're still at a a point in their lives where they actually still want to be in control of day-to-day operations and in the flagship and uh, so for us you know it was a transition where we had to take a concept of a huge store on saint hubert's and try to make it our own while keeping up the same family values so we've opened a store in distante in brassard a store in ottawa that are more of a kind of a, a smaller scale, so there's not the huge inventory, so we've had to take the values that they instilled upon us and kind of set, settle on a, a system that works best for our stores. Did you,
1: as you got to know the business and know all the lines and the product and the possibilities out there, certainly with uh, the youth and the and the online and, and all the stuff that, that makes a business run, did you start developing a different vision from your father? Was it always the same thing? Did you... Well, my father had the
6: vision. It's just that it wasn't... I guess his generation didn't prioritize or see the the value in the marketing on social media. And it's funny you mentioned that actually, we're about to go live with our new website and we're developing a whole marketing plan for social media, hopefully an online store as well, which will all be available uh, next year. So I've been working uh, with, with my cousins very hard on, on getting that going. But uh, we were lucky that, that my father my uncle were were you know they didn't close the door on the idea right away they saw the value but they just didn't prioritize it like we would
1: and Peter did you did you see the value did you think it was a bit too much did you agree with it you seem to have an open mind if I may say so Uh, wondering what your thoughts were on some of the new ideas that that your son your nephews kind of bring in
3: I see the value and, and I appreciate the value of it. I just didn't have the energy or the know-how to go after it. So I said, look, I agree with you guys. It's in your hands. It's your baby. This is your thing. So take it and run with it and, and let's get it going. But I, I do absolutely see the value of the social media uh, market in, in the future. It's definitely there and it's definitely happening. How much carte blanche did you, do you give to the next generation? They've had, I have to say in 10 years, they've had full carte blanche because the other two stores are basically theirs and they're running them. And I thought I'd be back and forth to Ottawa on a weekly basis and I think I can count on one hand how many times I've been there. So we basically, I I opened it and I worked hard to get it open, but then I left it in their hands and they were doing a good job. So I didn't have to go that often.
1: And John, how much did you rely on your, your father, your uncle, to to get all that knowledge did you actually go and ask questions Heavily or yes. or would you say i gotta i gotta prove it to them i gotta do it on my own
6: no i mean we we had that sense of we do want to do it on our own of course but we we were on the phone or even at family uh, dinners we would always uh, take the conversation aside uh, my uncle my dad and my cousins and we'd kind of talk about the business because we needed to have questions answered in order to be taken seriously
0: in, in the new stores Peter, how long have you been thinking about transition? Because it, uh, my impression is that you've been thinking about it for, for a while, perhaps since uh, Jonathan was a little child.
3: Well, I knew that at one point, uh, I could only do what I'm doing for so long. And as the kids were getting older, the, I mean, I have three kids. My brother had two and my sister has a few. And I said, look, everybody's welcome to come in. Whoever would like to come in and loves the business. But you have to show the passion and the know-how and the want of this type of business because it's a very demanding business. Firstly, you're creating, so it's very artistic. So you're basically, with each client, creating a new a new portrait. You're doing something new. So every client uh, is a challenge. And you have to be creative, and you're doing this on a daily basis, basis. And you have to have a lot of patience, and you're working with a different character, you know, maybe seven, eight times a day. So when I, you know, you have to be that type of person that can handle that and be ready to, to deal with that.
0: Peter and uh, John Ogier of CNN. Textiles joining us this evening on our Business Transition Special. More after the break at 7.45.
4: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants, and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
0: 748, welcome back to today's Entrepreneur Inspiring Stories from Outstanding Business People, Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. Also with us is Mike Newton as well from Fuller Landau. And uh, the OJs are here uh, from CNM Textiles, Peter and John. And uh, this is our special on business transition.
1: And I kind of alluded to it earlier, but I'll ask the direct question. I mean, two different generations, different amounts of time in the business. Uh, you guys have a little bit differences in operational management your, your philosophies your strategies how do you how do you differ what kind of has been working or not working for each of you respectively
6: well the similarities are for sure what we learned which are you know CNM stands for customer service quality product and you know price and everything is is you know we've been around for 65 mm-hmm. years so that's why we have a good reputation. But the things that make us different is that in the new stores, Matthew and myself have given the team more of leadership responsibilities. We've we've learned to, after watching our fathers, you know, work this, the 65 hour weeks and open and close daily, we've learned to kind of delegate more the responsibilities, even with the day-to-day operations. Uh, most of our team, they handle their own orders from A to Z. So the actual store owners are a lot less involved W- when it comes down to point of sale or day to day operations, which hopefully is going to allow us to continue growth, because the the way it's set up in Montreal at our flagship right now works great for them because they have one store to worry about, but when you plan on having a few more stores in the future, you have to prepare and you have to make sure that your team is ready to handle the responsibility that we give them. Peter,
1: when you when you look at your son and nephew using or engaging in this kind of operational philosophy, how does it how does it make you feel? What do you think?
3: Well, I respect it because I think it's wonderful that they've put their lives first and that they they have their free time and they do put in their hours, but they also put in their their relaxation and home hours, which uh, I guess we were taught that's maybe the only negative that we were taught from our forefathers is it's work, 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 and you don't have time off. If the store is open, you're there. Mm -hmm. So that's something that they instilled in us, but I'm glad that we didn't instill it in our children, and I'm glad they're living like that because it's a much better way of life. And they've learned how to delegate and how to, to give it over to their staff to do a better job.
0: A, a little little jealousy downwards instead of upwards. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> but don't you feel that you might want to adjust the way you do things, uh, seeing how, how your son is doing them? Well, now
3: with our we're, we're just in the
0: midst of an expansion. And I think with the newly
3: expanded store and uh, a new organizational uh, team in there, I think we'll be able to do that. Uh, I think the time is coming where we'll be much more organized, and I think we needed that space to organize ourselves. We've outgrown the the premises that we're in, so with the expansion, it'll help us to do that.
1: Uh, a, a lot of uh, you know father-son's uh, teams. They kind of use shadowing. You know, one shadows the other to learn the business. What's what was maybe the best technique, if if you can call it a technique? What do you feel the best technique that you, Peter, either passed on information or John that you collected information. From working together with the family,
3: I think one of the best things we did was that I wasn't directly Jonathan's teacher, and I put him and Matthew and and David in with the staff, and I let, e- you know, certain staff member be responsible for them to teach them. I would, you know, throw in my comments every now and then, but I let them do it with the staff members. But I think even more valuable is I started to take them on my European buying trips. So those trips, when you're four or five days in Italy or wherever you are, you can introduce them to the suppliers, show them the value of your suppliers who are just as valuable as your customers, and then have the downtime of sitting with them and, and talking about business and about people. And, and then they it opened their eyes to how the rest of the world lives also. So it was a great education for them, I think. I don't and know if Jonathan
1: agrees.
6: And from your standpoint, Jonathan? We were definitely wooed by those European trips. Those <laughs> were uh, good times. The Italian trips, yeah. Yeah, they're, the they're Velodeste in to, uh, Lake
3: Como is not hard to take.
6: <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> Did that inspire you to delegate more?
6: But uh, definitely, like, the buying trips opened our eyes to, like, uh, a different aspect of the business so that you, you know, you're not seeing yourself kind of just as a retail store and you're just taking care of sales. You're actually seeing the bigger picture of wholesale and actually bringing in collections of fabrics you're visiting your your actual manufacturers you're seeing how the fabrics are made so it definitely teaches you a lot of how the business is is operated but on the back end instead of just on the floor in the showroom and uh that was definitely part of the learning and part of the reason why i was really interested in continuing on with the business because visiting things like uh, where our blinds are manufactured, which are most of the actual blinds are manufactured in Canada. And actually a lot of our suppliers are in Montreal. So you visit these plants and it's just incredible how they could produce a blind for us in three business days. And I mean, the amount of work and the amount of people that are that that are involved in one order for one person's window is just uh, mind boggling. So it just really, it keeps you interested and it keeps you, you know, motivated because there's so many aspects to the business
1: no definitely a lot to learn and it sounds like you've learned a ton when we come back from the break some words from mike about uh, maybe some of the touchier issues in, in passing down an actual business from a share standpoint
0: and peter and jonathan's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur as well It's 753
4: for professional advice with a personal touch consult fuller landau chartered accountants and business advisors click on flmontreal.com
0: we're back with our special on business transition. Our guests, uh, Peter and Jonathan Oj of CNM Textiles, and Mike Newton is here as well from Florlando and of course Josh. Thank you, Dan, for not forgetting me.
1: <laughs> uh, Mike, you know, I guess from uh, passing down a business is one thing for the knowledge. It's one thing for the the employees and the team to understand that everybody's working together. What about when you want to actually pass down the shares? I guess it can get a little dicey or tricky, and I'm not talking about the tax side of it, I'm talking about the people side of it. The people side of
5: it is huge. I mean, if you get past the initial uh, uh, similarities and values, and then you can get around the discussion of intergenerational work styles and differences, and then you get around egos, and then you get around who should be in charge and who's contributing what, then you're left with the discussion of, well, mom, dad, when do I get my fair share? And in many family businesses, uh, and, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, Jonathan, but in many family businesses, the younger generation underpaid. <laughs> uh, seeing that somewhere down the road there's a payday on shares and equity and are willing to continue to work, I have seen family businesses where the parents are still active at 80, 85 years old and the kids do the math or somewhere in their 50s and the shares still haven't been transitioned. So it is a very, very touchy subject uh, and uh, unfortunately I've seen a few families broken apart. Uh, the, the, on resent,
1: the, the resentment just builds.
5: The resentments, I mean, and, and then you got to play the whole, well, if there's multiple children and they're not all in the business, do I compensate the kids uh, based on birthright? Do I compensate the kids based on time that they spend actually working in the business? Uh, you know, and, and there's so many factors that come to play that, you know, by the time uh, you actually get there, um, you know, you hope you're still talking to each other. And many times, by the time you sit down to actually get into the whole discussion of, of transitioning the actual shares and we'll leave the government and we'll leave all all the rest of the logistics out. Uh, it's 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 a dicey subject. I, I, I'm trying to be polite in the exercise. No, of course,
1: and and then of course there's a well. Maybe we'll deal with it in the will afterwards. So that's a that's a whole other kettle of fish.
5: Yeah, unfortunately, uh, I don't. I, I think the earlier you can start talking about it in a family business, openly discussing it, I think is the more success you're going to have. Uh, the situation of yeah, yeah, we'll get to it one day, uh, is 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 probably going to create a huge amount of resentment.
1: Well, the time has actually f- absolutely flown by, but as we as we near right 8 o'clock, we have about a minute to go, uh, look to Jonathan and Peter separately and ask, what would be your one piece of advice to entrepreneurs, to today's entrepreneur, about a family transition? John?
6: In order to go smoothly, you have to, like any relationship, you have to keep open lines of communication at all times. You can't keep anything to yourself because that's when all the... Rage or anger or miscommunications occur and build up so my advice is even if it's something that the other person or family member doesn't want to hear you have to sit down and take the time to talk things through
3: great peter well, i'd have to agree with jonathan i mean communication is key josh if you allow me just a shout out to my buddy phil silvers who i promised i'd say <laughs> hello to tonight thank you for everything phil and have a good winter and you know my my mother god bless her is in her 90 somethings and is still around and she did the transition that uh, that uh, you were just talking about early on so that there wasn't any of that. And we're hoping that the transition will not have anything like that. Thank you.
0: And uh, thanks very much to the OJs, Peter and Jonathan, for joining us this evening. Uh, Mike Newton from Fuller Landau. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Dan. And Josh, we're back in two weeks on Today's Entrepreneur. Back in two weeks. Thanks very much. The Exchange is next on CJAD 800.